Welcome back to the Story of Computing podcast. From the time when debugging involved actual bugs to today's latest and greatest smart technology, every Monday we will dive into the stories of the individuals that made today's technology possible. I'm your host, Sarah Tibbetts, the founder and lead developer of Tipsar Software. Today I bring you the story of Grace Hopper. Grace has had so many contributions to the story of computing. Let's get started. Grace Hopper was born on December 9th in 1906 in New York City. When she was a child, she was always curious, and like many curious children, this led her to taking apart the things in her home in an attempt to learn how they worked. At only seven years of age, Grace took apart seven alarm clocks in an attempt to understand them. When her mom realized what she was doing, she took six away and left her with one to continue her work. I love how she fostered her daughter's curiosity. When old enough for college, Grace applied to Vassar College. She was rejected because of low test scores in Latin, so then she applied the next year and she was accepted. She graduated in 1928 with a degree in mathematics and physics and immediately continued her education at Yale University. She graduated with her master's degree in 1930 and continued to earn her PhD in mathematics in 1934. When World War II broke out, Grace tried to enlist in the Navy. She was rejected for her age, which was 34 at the time. Her weight was also too low for her height, and because it was deemed she would be more valuable working at the job she already had as a mathematics professor at Vassar College, it was believed that this position would be valuable to the war in itself. In 1943, though, Grace managed to obtain a leave of absence from Vassar to volunteer to serve in waves for the U.S. Navy Reserve. WAVE stands for Women Accepted for Volunteer Emergency Service. It was a branch of the Navy created to allow women to serve. When it started, the women were not allowed to serve outside of the country, including on ships. This was changed, however, in 1944 to allow women to serve in Alaska and Hawaii. But in order to join WAVES, Grace had to request an exemption because she weighed 15 pounds less than the requirement. She was granted the exemption, though, and she went to training in December at the Naval Reserve Midshipman's School in Massachusetts. Grace completed the training in 1945 at the top of her class. She was then assigned to the Bureau of Ships Computation Project, which was being completed at Harvard University. There she served as a lieutenant, junior grade. Grace worked on the team programming the Mark I computer. If this sounds familiar, we mentioned the Mark I in our previous episode on Alan Turing, which you should check out on our website. The excerpt from the IBM archives explains the Mark I pretty well. The automatic sequence controlled calculator, the Harvard Mark I, was the first operating machine that could execute long computations automatically. A project conceived by Harvard University's Dr. Howard Aiken, the Mark I was built by IBM engineers in Endicott, New York. A steel frame 51 feet long and 8 feet high held the calculator, which consisted of an interlocking panel of small gears, counters, switches, and control circuits, all only a few inches in depth. The ASCC 
used 500 miles or 800 kilometers of wire within 3 million connections. 3,500 multipole relays with 35,000 contacts, 2,225 counters, 1,464 10-pole switches, and the tiers of 72 adding machines, each with 23 significant numbers. It was the industry's largest electromechanical calculator. Basically, this is saying it was really big. It used a lot of technology, and it was effective. Basically, the Mark I was used to compute calculations for the war. In an interview with the Computer History Museum by Angeline Pantages in December 1980, Grace describes her role working on the Mark I. She says, I started to work on the Mark I, 2nd of July, 1944. There was no such thing as a programmer at that point. We had a code book for the machine, and that was all. It listed the codes and what they did, and we had to work out all the beginning of programming, and writing programs, and all the rest of it. We stayed there through the building of Mark II and Mark III. What was carried over from Mark I was that, after a while, each of us began to build a notebook and what turned out to be subroutines. We didn't know that they were. We called them programs. I was a mathematical officer. We did coding. We ran the computer. We did everything. We were coders. I wrote programs for both Mark I and Mark II. Commander Howard H. Aiken came to my desk one day, and he said, You're going to write a book. I said, I can't write a book. And he said, you're in the Navy now. And that settled that, and I learned to write a book. Grace co-authored three papers about the machine with the creator, Dr. Howard Aiken. While working on the Mark II, Grace coined the term debugging, when the machine malfunctioned because a moth was stuck in the relay. This term is still widely used today by developers. Afterwards, Grace attempted to transfer from the Navy Reserve to the Navy itself, but she was again denied as at this point, she was 38 years old. Grace was offered a full-time role as a programmer at Vassar, but she declined the offer to continue working at the Harvard Computation Lab. In 1949, Grace started a new job as a senior mathematician at the Eckerd Mockley Computer Corporation. There she worked with the team developing the Univac 1. The Univac 1 was a revolutionary computer, as it was the first one designed for business applications. Grace explains her time while working on the UNIVAC in an interview. She says, Then, in 1949, I was at the end of my time at Harvard, and I joked Eckert and Mockley at the Eckert Mockley Computer Corp. John Mockley hired me. Again, we built up those pieces of coding. It was not until 1951 when I was given the assignment to collect them all together so that we could have a library of subroutines that we could all use and some means of getting at it. As far as I was concerned, there were two problems. One was you had to copy these darn things, and I sure found out fast that programmers cannot copy things correctly. On Univac, we used a delta for a space, and if he wrote a careless delta, it would look like a four. We also put a decimal in Univac 1. Any number of people used Bs that turned out 13s. Programmers just couldn't copy things correctly. On each of these routines, they started with zero, which when you put them into a new program, you had to add every one of the addresses to the position it was in in the new program. Programmers could not add. There sat the beautiful big machine whose sole job was to copy things and do addition. Why not make the computer do it? That's why I sat down and wrote the first compiler. It was very stupid. What I did was watch myself put together a program and make the computer do what I did. And that's why it was a single pass compiler and that always astonishes everybody.
because obviously you couldn't do that because you'd run into a place where in the flowchart, for instance, you could have two kinds of tests. One would jump back to somewhere you'd been and you knew where you put the program piece, but you would have another test that jumped forward and you haven't processed that yet, so you didn't know where it was going to go. So I developed what I called neutral corner. I got it from playing basketball. This was to go forward, so I had to jump down to what I called neutral corner. Then I put a flag up. I've got a message for you. And in each step, each glob, I looked down to see if I had a flag for it. And if I did, I put another jump from there to that operation. At the cost of one extra jump, I had a one-pass compiler. You went zooming through the computer, you didn't go back, you didn't have separate runs and all that stuff. So that's basically how Grace invented the first compiler, which is such a major contribution and is still used today in so many different ways. When Grace was being interviewed for that role, she mentions interviewing with Betty Holberton. You probably don't know who she is right now, but we're going to have an episode on her in the future, so make sure to stay tuned. In an interview, Grace discusses how Betty's contribution paved the way for her own work. She says, At the interview, there were both John and Betty Holberton, and Betty has never received the credit for the work she did, and she should have received long since. Everybody's forgotten that she wrote the first program that wrote a program. She wrote that sort merge generator, and what she did was feed in the specs for the data that you were handling, and the keys and that sort of thing, and when it generated the sort program for that specific data. That's the first time, to my knowledge, that anyone used the computer to write a program. Betty did that. I don't think she's ever fully received the credit for what she did in that case. Then she got out and got buried in MBS. Nobody ever heard from her after that which is just a shame. The first work she did was that automatic generation stuff for Univac 1. I'm not sure that I would necessarily have gotten done what I did get done if she hadn't been ahead of me, so to speak. Knowing that she had used a program to generate a program, I had a good deal more nerve to go ahead and build the first AO compiler. It finally got called AT3. That's the one where I got into trouble. We built a preliminary compiler, a model which would only take 20 statements, but had all the controls in it, in order to get the budget. We had this program, but the more we looked, the smaller it looked. It looked so trivial, and we were asking for the biggest budget we had ever asked for. So we decided we ought to do something more. We had carefully fixed it so each statement began with a verb. Now the only type of statement that is coming across in all languages is the command imperative. We simply substituted the words in French and German, and ran the program in French and German, simply the verbs and nouns. It showed that we could do it not only in English. But that idea got clobbered because it was perfectly obvious that a computer built in Philadelphia could not understand French and German. But that was in the original program. Eventually, it did appear in most languages. And then what happened was even stranger. You look at programs in Sweden and you find English verbs and connecting words and nouns in Swedish. In Germany, you find English verbs and connecting words and nouns in German. In Japan, it's even more so. Because if you look at the Japanese COBOL text, you find verbs and connecting words in Roman characters in English and the nouns in Japanese and Japanese characters. Actually, COBOL has become a language you can talk to programmers around the world. We had proposed that originally, and it sure got clobbered. I would have thought it would be useful to NATO, because I thought they had the common verbs for the things they were going to do. And the nouns. 
they just have to have a dictionary for the things they were referring to for inventory control and other things like that. They'd have common nouns throughout NATO, and they could make a dictionary of common verbs and translate the program. You could write one in English, and you could translate it, and it could go to whatever language. No problem. You'd have communication. It would be a limited vocabulary. Then I decided there were two kinds of people in the world who were trying to use these things. One was people who liked using symbols, mathematicians and people like that. There was another bunch of people who were in data processing who hated symbols and wanted words. Word-oriented people, very definitely. And that was the reason I thought we needed two languages. The data processors did not like symbols, abbreviations that didn't communicate anything to them. They were totally accustomed to writing things in words, so why not give them a word-oriented language? And that was part of what was behind Flowmatic B-0, which became one of the ancestors of COBOL. And that still makes sense to me. The other thing that bothers me is why we aren't developing more languages. You'll notice that when they began to program machine tools, they all got together with the people that used machine tools and developed the FAPT language for programming machine tools. I still feel we need a lot more languages, not one. Everyone always wants to make the one all-purpose, do-everything language. I can make that very easily. All we would have to do is put every bit of English and every bit of mathematics into the computer and there it would be. It would be too big for everyone, too cumbersome. We would be continually trying to design subsets. What they should have done was build more languages for particular application areas. Now, for instance, one of the ones that was most needed was biomedical for all these things in various units and experimental work in biology. Why don't we have a biomedical language that includes the words, the verbs, and the mathematical techniques that people in the biomedical field use? As you can probably tell, Grace had some pretty strong opinions about how new programming languages should be created. Because of this, she served as a technical consultant to a committee created for the Conference on Data System Languages. The conference lasted for two days, and at the end, a new language was defined, COBOL, which stood for Common Business Oriented Language. COBOL was based on Flowmatic, which Grace mentioned in our last excerpt, and it already existed at the time. Over the years, it's changed pretty dramatically. It's even still used today. Grace discusses some of the improvements that were done in this excerpt. When we came to the subroutines, it was George Baird's idea on how we could fix our programs to run on anyone's computer, and I've been selling that ever since, because most people haven't realized it yet. It was George who wrote the program when we wrote the COBOL program. He invented the way we use the X's, X sub something for the special names and control cards, and then he stored little files that contained those. So he just told the routine which computer was one, and he stuck the special names and control cards, and off he went. This was totally George Baird's convention, and people still haven't fully appreciated that. Those test routines for both COBOL and Fortran would run on anybody's computer, and they have, by sticking to the standard language in his technique for handling the control cards. George is the one that came up with that. Grace mentions the concept of a subroutine. Subroutines are still largely used today. The creation of COBOL helped Grace realize the need to replace large systems with smaller, distributed computers. She intended for any computer to access content shared on the network. She created a set of standards to be used for both computer systems, components, and programming languages. These standards became adopted across many languages at the time, and in the 1980s they became the responsibility of the National Bureau of Standards, which is now the National Institute of Standards and Technology. 
Grace retired in 1966 at 60 years of age. This didn't last long though, and she was brought back into active duty in 1967. She retired a second time in 1971, but this retirement lasted even less time and she was brought back to active duty in 1972. In 1973, she was promoted to captain. In 1983, Grace was promoted to Commodore by the president at the time, Ronald Reagan. In the Navy, you were required to retire at a certain point, but Grace managed to get special approval by Congress and continued to work. She finally retired at the age of 79 years old, eight months and five days, which made her the oldest active duty commissioned officer in the U.S. Navy at the time. To celebrate her retirement, she had a party aboard the oldest commissioned ship in the U.S. Navy, which was 188 years, 9 months, and 23 days old. After her final retirement, Grace served as a senior consultant to the Digital Equipment Corporation. There she served as an ambassador, discussing her experiences with computing and her career. Of the many accomplishments Grace had, she felt one was her biggest. Grace is quoted saying, The most important thing I've accomplished, other than building the compiler, she said, is training young people. They come to me, you know, and say, Do you think we can do this? I say, Try it. And I back them up. They need that. I keep track of them as they get older, and I stir them up at intervals so they don't forget to take chances. Grace passed away in 1992 on New Year's Day. She was laid to rest with full military honors. Today, Grace's legacy lives on in many ways. Every year, the Grace Hopper Celebration is held, which is the world's largest conference for women technologists. Numerous scholarships exist in her name, and Yale even has a building named after her. Overall, she has made amazing contributions to the field of computing, and I'm sure her contributions will continue to be used for years to come. For more information about today's episode, including references to the information mentioned today, go to the episode page on our website, storyofcomputing.com. Don't forget to like us on Facebook and follow us on Instagram. We'll be back next Monday with another story honoring the pioneers that made today's technology possible. In the meantime, check out our previous episodes. Today's episode is brought to you by Tipstar Software LLC. Need custom software solutions and a website builder just won't cut it? Contact Tipstar Software LLC today for all your custom development needs. You can visit their website at tipstarsoftware.com. Intro music by Joseph McDade.